often when I'm sitting in this chair and sometimes I'm working with actors who I have been listening to since I was a kid and that right away transports me back to, you know, Saturday morning cartoons sitting in, in my parents' living room. Hmm. And, th- and these stories became, you know, such a huge part of my life and part of, you know, my conscious and subconscious being in a lot of ways. And so the fact that I'm now in a position to kind of help mold those stories and, and help bring them into existence and then pass them on to the next generation that might find themselves in a, in a similar place that I am, or maybe even not, I, I think is a, is a pretty cool thing. And, and something that even though like any job, you can sort of, you know, fall into the, the nine to five ism of it and, you know, forget, you know, that you're doing something that really does go out there and, and impact people. And so, yeah, that, that's just always, I always have to kind of stand back and sort of pinch myself that like, no, I'm, I'm doing something that is going to likely affect a whole group of kids coming up right now. And that's, that's pretty awesome. You can't put a price on that. From cave drawings to family histories to stories around the fire, humans crave order among chaos, connection amid isolation. So we tell stories. Our mission at the Storytellers Network is to bring the art of story to the masses. Whether you're in marketing, you're an entrepreneur, or you're developing your own personal brand, telling your story effectively can make the difference between celebrating milestones and collecting unemployment. The Storytellers Network strives to help storytellers tell their stories so you can learn from the best. Now, your host, Dan Moyle. And welcome to the Storytellers Network. I am your host, Dan, and I am so excited that you are here listening right now because today's guest uh, is just awesome. It was so much fun, a, a, l- a little bit unique in the way that, that this guest tells stories. So we're going to get to that in just a minute. But first, real quick, a reminder, uh, our, the, we, the, the resources you need are all on the website, thestorytellersnetwork.com for past episodes with great guests uh, and tons of insight and information and inspiration. Also resources on the storytellersnetwork.com on the resource tab to help you tell your story. I've shared some things there with people that are, that are absolutely amazing at helping you tell a better story. So thestorytellersnetwork.com for all that. Now, today's guest works in Hollywood behind the scenes. He's worked in sound for television series like Ultimate Spider-Man, Hulk and the Agents of Smash, and Sailor Moon. He's a sound recordist, recording engineer, dialogue recording mixer, because there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes on some of our favorite stories, and that's Ryan Johnson. So today, we get to hear some of those behind-the-scenes stories from Ryan, uh, who's worked in entertainment for more than a decade, and I think it is so cool to hear the behind-the-scenes stuff, and, and just the fact that, like, if you think of yourself as a storyteller, or maybe even if you don't, but you want to do something kind of cool with like, it's just, I don't know. I don't have the words for it. So I'm going to shut up and get to Ryan's stories. So Ryan, welcome to the Storytellers Network. Thanks for taking time today to, uh, to bring a little bit of Hollywood to the show, man. Hey, of course. Thanks for having me. I'm glad we can make it happen. Absolutely. So I mentioned in your intro a little bit about kind of your, your job and stuff, but I want to know first and foremost, do you think of yourself as a storyteller and all that you do? Well, you know, it's interesting. I mean, not long ago, I probably wouldn't have necessarily considered myself a storyteller per se. I mean, you know, we all came up, you know, as kids, you know, being interested in telling stories, you know, to our parents or our friends and everything. But Mm -hmm. as far as like a professional capacity, that never really was on my radar. If anything, I was always sort of more like 
storyteller, like adjacent or almost like a, uh, a facilitator to people who were telling stories okay. uh, in that, you know, I, I was working with people from a recording standpoint that would come in with, with their own stories and I would be the one basically helping create the, whatever medium it is that they're choosing to tell that story, be it, you know, straight audio or, you know, animation or vi- even video games, things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, lately though, I, it's kind of become a little bit more of my duty. I've found myself uh, sort of more in the director's chair, uh, which is obviously sort of set me up for, you know, a position where I am basically in charge of, of helping bring various stories to life. Uh, rarely am I the one originating the story, but it's, it's mine to tell and, and mine to help shape and sort of bring into the world. So yeah, I've sort of, you know, clumsily stumbled upon the, uh, the pathway of the storyteller, as it were. Right, right. So, so it's interesting then to think about as you're creating a, a project, you're creating that story. What I heard you say, Ryan, was you, you're not the creator of it, but you're the one who helps get it told. So like it takes, it sounds like, a, a few moving parts to get something like a series or a game made, huh? Oh, absolutely. The entire thing is, well, animation in particular, we'll, we'll, we'll you know, uh, take right now, yeah. is so incredibly collaborative from the person who has the initial idea, you know, the creator, uh, and they might even have the general story, but then they're going to start working with a room full of writers that are going to throw in their own ideas, and suddenly it's going to take a shape that maybe it, it wouldn't have if it was only the one person working on it. And then, you know, once you get it in the room and have you know, one or a group of actors working on it, they're going to put their own flavor on it. And then as far as, you know, what I do capturing the audio, then it's up to me to, you know, then edit it together, sculpt it into what will, you know, eventually lead to its final form. So yeah, the entire thing, it would be nearly impossible to do just with one person. It just by the sheer nature and scope of it becomes totally collaborative. Oh, absolutely. And how rewarding is it to be a part of a collaboration like that rather than just like totally solo, leave me alone, I'm in my bubble, working with a team like that, is that pretty rewarding? I think it really is. Uh, you know, I mean, I've definitely had my fair share of, of uh, projects that I've been involved in or worked on totally on my own. And sometimes that is exciting because you kind of do get to take your your vision from start to finish and sort of see it through hopefully the way you want to. But there's something that you will never ever accomplish alone that you can only do with a group. And and that is basically taking an idea and and turning it into something greater and and basically getting that outside perspective that leads it to something that just becomes, you know, greater than than the individual parts. You know, it, it the entire whole becomes this you know, just a work of art, I guess. Yeah. yeah. And, and it, you know, of course being, you know, 2019, the, the, it's not like movies are brand new, but like, right. sure. but, but like it's, it's such a visual, you know, we are such a visual culture, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. And it seems like video in particular movies, shows, YouTube, wherever that is, it's such a huge thing. And the more people I talk to, it sounds like that's more and more the case where you really can't do it alone. Right. Mm-hmm. And I just think I, I find it very, I find it fascinating that me as a writer think I can do it all on my own, but in reality, man, even writers, they have their, their other people. So it's interesting that your job is part of that storytelling world, even though you didn't mm-hmm. think of it that way. So I just, yeah, I was, I was excited to have you on cause I, I think this is so cool. Um, you mentioned being a storyteller as a kid kind of thing, but like, 
how, so, so how did you, instead of asking about story, how did you get into story? How did you get into this recording side of things, the engineering side, the, the technical side, mm-hmm. and then it's developed to where it is now, but how did you start in that world? Well, you know, it, it really started as a kid being uh, interested in music. That's kind of where it came from. Uh, you know, I, I grew up in a house where there was always music being played and, and uh, my dad would always quiz us, you know, anytime a song was on the radio, I didn't know who that is, you know, that is, and it sort of just led to a, a natural interest uh, and passion for music. And when I was probably about, I don't know, maybe 12 or 13 years old, I had some friends that were kind of, you know, fooling around talking about starting a band. And I, I just thought to myself, oh, that, would, that sounds like a cool thing to do. And so eventually I talked my parents into, you know, buying me an instrument and started playing with people regularly and, and did the band thing for, for a long, long time, uh, all the way through high school and, and past that to the point where it, it kind of seemed like that was likely going to be my, you know, uh, main career path. And at a certain point, uh, the particular group I was in sort of disbanded for, you know, many, many reasons. And uh, then it was kind of time to make a choice. It was like, okay, do you want to start again? Keep doing this, you know, keep trudging along or, hey, I guess college is <laughs> always an option. And that was kind of, you know, I was about a year or two out of high school and it was kind of, and also I should add my, my girlfriend, my now wife, uh, was going off to college and, and the place where she was going had a fantastic uh, audio production uh, program. And I thought to myself, well, if I'm going to go to college, I may as well study something I'm interested in and audio seems fun. That seems like the natural progression from all the music that I've been doing. And I've spent some time in studios and, you know, we paid for our own recordings over the course of the years to varying levels of quality and success. Mm-hmm. And I just thought to myself, well, that, if I could choose a career path, that seems like it would be, you know, a, a natural next step. So, so I spent, you know, four years in college uh, learning to record audio. I kind of stumbled into a, a situation where I was, running a studio of my own during the time that I was kind of learning audio. So not only was I learning in sort of a formal setting, but also kind of trial by fire on the side, recording, you know, local bands and musicians, and also doing a little bit of audio books and, and poetry and things like that. Mm-hmm. And so to be honest, by the time uh, my wife and I moved to LA, which would have been, man, we're closing in on a decade, about nine years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, I kind of had it in my head. I would probably just end up, working at a recording studio, you know, doing music. And I, I did dabble in that for a little bit. Uh, but by and large, you know, Los Angeles is a big TV and movie production town, obviously. And a lot of the jobs that I've sort of was able to, you know, find myself doing were more oriented toward TV and film. And at one point I found myself, uh, you know, between gigs you know looking for work and one of the many jobs that I had applied for was this studio called Studiopolis and by the time they called me for an interview I honestly couldn't even remember which job that was I'd applied to so many and uh, and they brought me in and kind of told me what they did oh we, re- we record you know voices for animation and video games and things like that and it was a world that I'd been aware of certainly but not one that I ever really considered trying to to find my way to uh, but then once I found myself in it, it just, you know, really opened up a whole new world for me as far as just the different ways that, uh, audio recording can be applied, you know, not just music. And it really leads us right into this whole world of storytelling. Yeah. And do you still dabble in that music stuff too? Or is that oh, without, a, without a doubt? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I've 
I don't do it as regularly as I used to overall. Uh, however, that being said, kind of right around the time I sort of resigned myself to the fact that, oh, I probably won't do the band thing again. Uh, a few good friends of, of mine down here in LA actually uh, recruited me to be their bass player. So, so actually, I have been playing music uh, in a public setting a little bit more in the last probably year than, than I have over the most of the last decade. But mm. Yeah. And so, you know, when I, when I talk to a lot of storytellers, I, I think of them as creatives. When I was researching you and getting ready for this one, I was thinking a little more technical, like, mm. you know, you like, I just picture you kind of like geeking out about certain microphones or cables or whatever. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but like, but there really is a creative side to it though, too. It sounds like, I mean, it sounds like you have this creative streak and you found a place to use it kind of tact tactile, I guess, as it were, huh? Oh, absolutely. I mean, sure, the technical part is, you know, a huge component of it. You, you can't really get creative with audio recording uh, until you kind of at least have a, you know, rudimentary grasp of the technical side. Mm -hmm. But what keeps me coming back to it is the, the creativity. Uh, and even if, if I'm in the studio recording a piece of music or a band or something, I mean, part of the fun is, you know, obviously, so miking up a guitar amp or or a vocalist and, you know, getting your, your bass sound, but it's like, okay, guitars have been recorded thousands of times over many, many decades. So how can we find a way to do this? that's interesting. And, and is that, you know, maybe a, a mix of different microphones creating different tones? Is that, you know, some different signal processing as far as, you know, guitars and, and pedals and different signal chains. And, and really it's, it's about as far as music goes, finding a way to basically create an atmosphere. I think that's, that's what really draws me in uh, as, as far as audio production with, with regard to music is recording music and, you know, obviously the emotion of, of telling story through song, but also creating an atmosphere, creating a mood, creating uh, an image for the listener. Yeah. That's something I, that I've always found very rewarding. And is there, a, are there still ways to find new stuff to do? Like, like you said, it's been recorded, you know, thousands and thousands of times. Is there still new ways to to do this recording and the storytelling? Without a doubt. I mean, I and it goes right back to uh, the collaborative nature of you know creating animation that we were just talking about. Like, mm -hmm. for example, this this band that I'm playing with, we're you know working on recording a couple songs right now. And over the years, even though I haven't been doing music regularly whenever I do sit down to do it over that time, it's kind of been by myself. I'll get an idea. I'll sit down in my home studio and, you know, see it through. And that's fun and rewarding in itself. But then the minute you get in that room with, you know, four or five other people and there's, you know, all those other, uh, you know, points of view and, and ideas floating around, mm -hmm. it, it leads to some really, really neat unexpected things. Like for example, I was recording uh, a guitarist just the other night and there was a, a moment in this particular piece of music we were working on where you know the melodies were there the the song was in front of us it was all coming together but it just felt like this is sounding good but there's, there's just a little piece missing and uh and i just kind of looked around and i saw there was a water bottle and so i just handed it to him and i said here and i kind of just motioned scraping it across his guitar strings and then i just hit record and now the whole last little climactic piece of the song has just the sound of this water bottle scraping the guitar string. And it's not something that's going to be, you know, front forward in the mix. It's something that's just kind of sitting back, helping to create a mood. And, and you might listen to it. You might not even necessarily register that you're hearing something like that, but 
on a subconscious level, you sort of feel that um, the tone has shifted a little bit. There's something I'm, I'm not really mm-hmm. as familiar with sort of, you know, helping, you know, drive this, this forward, you know? So those little parts are, are huge in a way, I guess, huh? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I yeah. think it's the little things, you know, yeah. it always adds up to something big. Absolutely. So let's go back to uh, your, your work then too. Um, mm-hmm. One of the, one of the titles I think I, I read somewhere, maybe I heard it was voiceover director. Correct. Um, what does that, what does that mean? <laughs> what does that look sure. like for you? Well, what that means, uh, a few different things. The way that I have found myself doing that mostly as of late is in the world of ADR. And uh, for anyone that doesn't know what, what ADR is, it's a, a process within filmmaking, both live action and anim- animation. Uh, I've heard a few different uh, acronyms for it, but what I always call it is additional dialogue replacement. So in the example of, say, a film, a live action film, uh, they might have had actors on a set that was maybe a little bit noisy or, you know, maybe the, the microphones on their shirts may have been making a little bit of noise or something as simple as an actor's delivery might have looked right on camera but was a little hard to understand. Could have been anything like that. Well, they'll bring those actors back into the studio with the edited piece of footage in front of them and they will stand in front of a microphone and basically re-perform that piece of dialogue to themselves. Mm. Now, we do a bit of live action here at the studio, but where I find myself usually is in the world of animation. Uh, Specifically, a big chunk of what I do is uh, in the world of anime dubbing. And uh, I I have to say anime is a whole universe unto itself that I was aware of prior to to working here, uh, but had no idea of sort of the scope of it and, and, you know, how deep these stories go and how passionate the the fan bases are. But by and large, what I end up doing day to day is, is having usually one actor at a time come into the booth with a script that they've often never even seen before. And I show them a, you know, a chunk of dialogue, whether it's one line or maybe like a little monologue and we watch it down once they see what the original uh, animation is, what the original actor did with the line and then we go. I hit record and they do their their version of it. And from there, it's up to me to sort of guide their performance to basically what it needs to be in order to move the story forward and and put that character in the place that they need to be. Okay. So you're asking for like additional takes or, you know, give it more emotion here or sound angry there, that kind of stuff? Exactly, exactly. I, I kind of think of it as like putting together a big puzzle Mm -hmm. as the director. It's my job to, for a given episode, for example, to know the story, to know where all of the characters are within that story, where they're going to start at the beginning of the episode and where they're going to end up. And each line is going to be one little step to get them there. Mm -hmm. And so as each actor comes in, I'm sort of helping guide them along the way. They may not know where the end is going to lead them, but, but I do. So yeah. if I, I like to start with letting them just completely without my influence, give me their take on the line. And I, and I have to say, we've been blessed with a good cast of actors uh, we, that we bring through that really their instincts are pretty spot on, especially some of them, are, you know, familiarize themselves with the work ahead of time. But then at that point, it's, it's up to me to say, okay, that was a good start, but you know, basically adjust the, whether it's the mood or the projection level or 
really the, the subtext of line. I think that's, that's a lot of where my, my duties lies is, is in subtext. And, mm-hmm. and I think subtext and context are probably my two favorite words as far as, <laughs> as far as this job goes, because yeah. like a, a line might, you know, the words might say one thing, but in the context of the story and, and the subtext of what that character is going through might mean something completely different. Gotcha. And when you say um, you're dubbing, like you're taking anime that's in one language and putting it into English, right? Correct. Yeah. By and large, a lot of the work that we do is, uh, is being dubbed from Japanese. Yeah. yeah. So do you, so then did you know any Japanese or do you just know the storyline? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's it's funny because I, I talked to a lot of people about this this job, and they're like, "Oh man, you work with Japanese dialogue all day every day. You must you must know some Japanese, right?" <laughs> you would absolutely be wrong about that. I, I know about two words. Uh, One of them is "nani," which means "what," <laughs> uh, which I'm sure if I landed in Tokyo right now, it'd probably be a word I'd be using a lot. Right? Uh, yeah. Honestly, I, I wish that I did know a little more, a little bit more. And uh, occasionally, especially on newer shows, when we're you know starting up a a brand new series or a new story arc, a new chunk of episodes. Sometimes I'll have the luxury of having, you know, somebody from the production side with me and often they do speak Japanese. And sometimes that helps a lot because we have, you know, a really talented group of writers that adapt these scripts and some of them speak mm-hmm. Japanese, some of them don't. Uh, and, but a lot of times they're working from a literal translation. And sometimes the, as I mentioned, sometimes the literal, doesn't necessarily get to the heart of, of really what a line of dialogue is trying to convey. And so you know, whenever you do have somebody around that does speak Japanese, sometimes that can be invaluable because, you know, it just helps you get to the, the meaning of a, of a piece of dialogue or a scene mm-hmm. better than you might if you're just kind of stumbling through it unaided. Uh, that being said, I mean, a lot of times once a show gets off the ground, we're kind of trusted to to take it and run with it. And, you know, obviously our work gets reviewed and if there's anything that needs, needs adjusting after that, we obviously do that. But mm. yeah. Interesting. So, so it is, I mean, it's not just like pop it into Google translate and here's what it is. I mean, and they're adapting it so that it comes out crossing the cultures, I guess. Correct. Yeah. That's, that's mm. a big part of it. Uh, the, the way I understand how it works is, uh, is basically once a show is, is done being produced in Japan, a script is outputted in uh, Japanese, basically, and then somebody on the U.S. or English-speaking production side takes that script, does a direct translation, which often is pretty clunky, and then that's given to our writers who then take it, they watch the episode, they read over it, they sort of get familiarized with it, and at that point, they sit down and line by line uh, basically take that literal clunky translation and turn it into something that sounds like a fluent English speaking human might say. And then even from that point with as good of a job that they do, even then it still becomes a huge part of the job to sit here when you're in the booth with the actor to finesse it even a little bit further, because when the animation's done already, the lip flap is already done. The amount of syllables that that character is giving you is basically set and while the writer is looking at the the picture while they're cre- you know basically adapting their version of this line while the writer is sitting at home reading it it might fit just fine but then when you get an actor in the booth who maybe has a different cadence or you know a different energy while they're actually performing the role in the booth 
sometimes there are little discrepancies. So you might have to take a word away here, add a word, or sometimes, you know, just getting a, a second set of eyes on it after it's been delivered by the writer. We often will finesse lines of dialogue even a little bit further just to make them, you know, a little smoother or a little more true to the character. Uh, so yeah, it's a constantly evolving animal basically from the time it's it's done in japan or whatever the country of origin is right up until we you know deliver the mix that's interesting man such a such a cool thing to think that for me anyway that like again the world of story Mm. isn't so pigeonholed into only you know writing books or creating this only con only your content or whatever like like you're doing something i would never would have thought of bringing those stories to life so that's really that's really interesting um why do productions well i guess first of all do all animation productions record actors completely separately or do they ever do things like in the booth together to play off each other oh without a doubt actually when my very first day here at the studio uh quite a while ago uh i i'll never forget i you know was walking into this room and right away so just sort of overwhelmed by the you know, the the situation in the studio, you know, it was a very professional setup, which piqued my interest right away. But I remember sitting down right away and, uh, and looking up into the booth where the actors stand and, you know, perform their, their roles. And there was about a horseshoe of maybe about eight mics or so. And one by one actors started walking in the booth and pretty soon this entire episode of the show we were doing at the time was, uh, Transformers Prime. Hmm. And, I just remember the entire episode, every character basically played out right in front of me, just like a radio play. <laughs> and, and I mean, it goes right back to, you know, like we were talking about collaboration. Each actor is performing an entire episode from front to back. And each one of them is playing off of each other. They're, they're taking that energy from their, their co-stars and, and using that to, propel their own performance forward and so yeah to answer your question yes we do do uh entire casts at a time Mm -hmm. now sometimes that doesn't always work out because actors are busy and schedules get crazy and sometimes productions they just have to to move ahead so it seems to be that lately more often than not we've been doing a one to three actors at the most but generally it ends up being one actor at a time which is why it's so important again going back to one of my favorite words context to keep the context in mind of what that actor is delivering and what is going on in their scene around them Mm -hmm. and uh and if you don't have a steady handle on that things can go off the rails pretty quick and one way to remedy that is first of all to have somebody read with with the actor if they're the first ones in but as additional actors keep coming in assuming this isn't adr assuming this is what's called original animation, which is basically the dialogue is recorded before anything is animated, Mm. which is more specific to American productions, at least in in the instances that I'm referring to. To have reference tracks to play for the actors of the previous actors that have already recorded. So for example, if if this character is entering the room mid-conversation, we might have a couple lines of dialogue already lined up from actors that have already been in a few days prior to play for them. So they immediately know what am I working with? Who am I playing off of? What kind of energy am I coming in and matching? And it just kind of helps the whole, hopefully the whole scene sort of be a little more cohesive and not feel like it's a bunch of people recording separately, but in fact, a bunch of people in a room having a conversation or going through, you know, the same Mm -hmm. situation. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you mentioned Ryan radio play. Uh, mm. and so it makes me think of podcasting, audio dramas, the mm. things that are going on nowadays. Do you know much about that world? Do you listen to that kind of stuff or is it more of like a reference of old time radio for you? You know, that's funny. You mentioned that, uh, in general, I, I tend to think of the more old timey stuff, but I, I do listen to a lot of podcasts. They tend to be more, you know, conversational, conversational, uh, you know, or documentary type stuff. Mm-hmm. But lately I have been sort of uh, made aware that there are these, you know, fictional radio play esque podcasts. And I, and I've, I, I wish that I could say I have checked them out. I really have been meaning to, but I think it's, it's such a cool thing. I mean, it seems so obvious, you know, to sort of keep that art form alive. Cause really that, all the animation and stuff that we do, like that's really what it, what it came from. Like, and so it's, it makes so much sense to, to bring that art form into the future. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, I, and, the, I and this cool season, thing. this season being entertainment storytellers, I actually have a couple of people who do audio dramas. So I just find it fascinating that like you're on the Hollywood side of it. They're on the independent side of it. And it's mm. there's just such a world out there. Yeah. Uh, I mean, do you, do you see a world where, that not only stays alive, but maybe gets mainstreamed as it were, and like get some money behind it. Cause like, again, right now it's might be somebody like me in my home recording my voice and then giving it to somebody else to record their voice and blah, blah, blah. And then we add our own, you know, sound mixes to it or whatever, our sound effects and Foley and stuff. Mm-hmm. But like, like, do, I mean, where do you, you know, you're in that world of, of Hollywood and, and of, of animation and everything else in anime. Do you see, a place for that too in this kind of saturated world of story and media? I mean, of course, I, I think it goes right back to what, what you were saying that the whole market of entertainment and storytelling and, you know, even as far as, you know, documentaries and podcasts, it is saturated. That's for sure. There's no, no escape in that reality. However, I think the, the cream rises to the top. It doesn't matter what medium you're in. I think if, if the, the story is compelling and the quality is there, people are going to pay attention. I think that's no different with modern radio plays. I, I think that, uh, you know, if there's a story out there being told in that form and it's engaging to people and it gets people talking and thinking and sharing it with others, I, I don't think there's any reason it wouldn't become more of a mainstream thing. And I, and I think that there's evidence to that because actually the one I was just thinking of, I, I wish that I had the the name of it off the top of my head, but I, I happen to know that it, uh, it stars some, you know, working on camera, well-known actors and, and the idea that uh, they would even be open to participating in something like that. I think right there just lends credibility to the fact that there is a market for it. There's an audience for it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, I think if it's, if it's done well and done with care, then yeah, people will find it. And I think there definitely would be a place for that. Yeah. And I think it's an interesting too, that we have as big as media has become, it becomes so, uh, siloed so niche focused that if i want to take in a story about something specific i can get that whether it's an animation Mm -hmm. story an anime whether it's a real movie whether it's you know audio i mean you know i mean gosh it used to be three networks right and now we've got all you know i mean hulu has original content netflix does so it's i just it's it's so cool um yeah it really is crazy. The The landscape is just so vast these days. I, I can remember years and years and years ago uh, coming into to work a session and, you know, I'm, you know, getting my, my Pro Tools recording rig set up and I'm kind of looking at details, seeing, okay, how many tracks we're using? Okay, who's the client? Wait, Amazon? Am I reading that right? Am, really? Amazon? Okay. And then flash forward to now, it's like, yeah, of course Amazon is doing shows. They're all over the place. So, right. yeah, I mean, the, the whole the whole landscape's just ever evolving and you know i think 
anybody with the the drive and the passion to do it can sort of you know throw their uh their stuff out there and you know see what sticks and do you think that's where kind of the world's headed is that i mean it's, it's headed that way but like we the, the cream rises to the top. There's so many great stories out there that don't get told that this is a way for that to happen for the independent. For sure. Yeah. I mean, I, that's one reason I think podcasts are so great is because it, in a lot of ways it does level the playing field. There are a lot of fantastic, compelling stories out there that aren't necessarily being told in the mainstream, but, but now people have the, the technology at their disposal to put that stuff out there. And the people that are interested in finding it can absolutely do that. Like, mm-hmm. For example, I mean, I I just saw a movie the other day that I was, you know, really interested in and wanted to talk to people about and nobody in my circle had seen it yet. And I was like, man, I just, I really want, just want to have a conversation about this with somebody. So I just went to my phone. I, I went to my podcast app. I searched for that movie. Sure enough, there's like 10 different podcasts about people talking about that movie. Awesome. And, and, and yeah, I mean, it, it may not be, you know, the, the top uh downloaded podcast necessarily on the on the charts but i mean it's out there it's easy to find and there's an audience for it you know so one thing that i've i've found so constantly impressive about you know this world of anime that that i've found myself in which again i mean it was something that i was aware of but hadn't really been you know deeply involved in prior to working in it is that there is such a deep audience for even that and and it's something that is you know in a lot of ways not necessarily mainstream but even still it's enough to sustain you know conventions that you know fill halls with thousands and thousands of people and it's not something that's going to be you know like on HBO or NBC or you know anything like that so mm-hmm. i mean just goes to show you i mean the 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 tastes that audiences have are so broad and and i think if you if you are doing a project and have a story that you believe in and, and put your heart and soul into it, it may not be, you know, the, the biggest, you know, pop culture event necessarily that people are talking about, but, but people are going to appreciate that and they're going to find it one way or the other. And when you find that audience, what's the key do you think to, to keeping them? That is the, that is a really good question. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, I, I wish I knew the, uh, you know, a hard fast answer to that. I, uh, I think, I think the only thing you can do is, you know, stay true to, to your vision keep, keep doing, doing what makes you feel fulfilled, what serves hopefully the original idea. And if you keep, you know, keep, keep your passion alive throughout that, that process, I think people really are responsive to that and they pick up on that. And, and often people can tell when you're, when you're phoning it in, like it, it just, I think audiences are a lot smarter than, than some tend to give them credit for. And people often will pick up right away if something is disingenuous. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that for me, that's probably the, the best advice I can think of is just stay true to your original vision, keep the passion alive and, you know, mm-hmm. hopefully the audience will follow. I think that's good. That's awesome. Um, so Ryan, from, from your seat, as the, as director, as recording, as a sound guy, what is it that you love about helping to tell those stories? Well, you know, I, I think about this often. I often, when I'm sitting in this chair and sometimes I'm working with actors who I have been listening to since I was a kid and that right away transports me back to, you know, Saturday morning cartoons sitting in in my parents' living room Hmm. 
and th- and these stories became you know such a huge part of my life and part of you know my conscious and subconscious being in a lot of ways and so the fact that i'm now in a position to kind of help mold those stories and and help bring them into existence and then pass them on to the next generation that might find themselves in a in a similar place that i am or maybe even not I think is a is a pretty cool thing and and something that even though like any job you can sort of you know fall into the the nine to five ism of it and you know forget you know that you're doing something that really does go out there and and impact people and so yeah that that's just always I always have to kind of stand back and sort of pinch myself that like no I'm I'm doing something that or is going to likely affect a whole group of kids coming up right now and. That's that's pretty awesome. You can't put a price on that. That's cool. And you mentioned you did one of your first moments there was with uh, uh, Transformers Prime, Optimus Prime. You said right, like sure, like that. I mean, man, I remember that. I remember sitting oh, yeah. there watching like that. Is it the same guy? Was it? it, it uh huh. Exactly. Like, <laughs> yeah. No, my first day. Uh, the the original Optimus Prime, a guy named Peter Cullen, and the original Megatron, a guy named uh, Frank Welker. These guys are both legends in their own right. I mean, uh, Peter Cullen was the voice of Eeyore from, you know, Winnie the Pooh. Uh, Frank Welker was, uh, you know, what's his name from Scooby-Doo, the, the blonde guy whose name I'm, Fred. Uh, Fred, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, these guys, they're legends. They've been at it forever. I mean, you want to talk about watching a master of their craft, I mean, look no further. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's pretty incredible. How do you not, like, become a fan? I mean... As you're working in that, I mean, you're you're a pretty young guy. You're working with these with these guys, but you're experienced. Mm-hmm. But how do you not like stumble over yourself and be like, "Oh man, I just loved you in in this." You know, it, it does happen, but never out loud. You know, because mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, I get to work with a lot with a lot of really cool people, and many of whom they walk in the booth, and I'm immediately excited because it's like, "Oh man, that oh, I'm such I love when they were in that thing and all that." But the fact is, beyond that, they're all just people and they're right. humans and they're coming in to do a job, albeit a really cool, unique job that <laughs> probably they really enjoy doing. Yeah. Uh, and so I found that even though internally I might initially just have that fanboy response, you know, in the end, whenever I'm in the, in the booth with them, you know, setting their mic and just, you know, often I'll just ask them, you know, how their day was or, you know, just kind of make small chat with them as I'm getting them situated or whatever. I, I find that uh, they always respond so much better to that because exactly that they're, they're a human. You're a human. We're here in a working environment. We're professionals mm-hmm. in what we do. And it just sort of levels the playing field in, in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, sometimes you work on a show and then they'll get some big celebrity to come in and, those are the days often that the, uh, you know, the producers and all the executives and extra people that are never at the sessions show up because they, you know, might maybe want to sneak in and get a photo with, you know, whoever it might be. And, and it's interesting because while I've just had a real human interaction with somebody and yeah, they probably won't recognize me on the street after that. Uh, you immediately notice a difference when people are, you know, oh, before you go, can I, can I just get a photo? Oh, do you mind signing this? And I mean, they're always very gracious. I've never seen anybody be rude or anything about that. But but the dynamic of the the interaction changes right away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how many of those, uh, you know, 
top tier folks, either, either legends or top tier folks, whatever, how many of them seem excited to be doing what they do come in and like, I mean, gosh, everybody's on Instagram now, right? Sure. Everybody's a content creator. We got to be on social, <laughs> right? Right. So, I mean, are, are they, are some of them doing that? Or maybe even on the flip side of the spectrum, the younger, uh, younger in air quotes, cause maybe they're, they're not younger in age, but like the newer actors, are they coming in going, man, this is really cool. Yeah. You know, they are. However, I think that anybody that has sort of worked to the point where they're in the booth during a session that I'm running, they're not necessarily spring chickens. You know, they, mm. they might be young in the grand scope of things, but by and large, by the time they come to me, like they're professionals, they've been in the working environment. So while it may, you know, be cool that um, I get to come to work in my pajamas and just <laughs> sit in front of a microphone and make funny voices, I mean, they, they still, they, they know what they signed up for. They, they know what the gig is. So, and honestly, a lot of it, I, I think that they might kind of, like I was saying, tempering, you know, your ex, uh, excitement for, you know, being a fan, they might also be tempering their excitement for, for just getting to be in the booth. Like I, I, I can think of moments where, you know, you, you see an actor in the booth and they're just like kind of in awe of like, oh <laughs> man, this is so neat. But, the, but outwardly they're like, okay, yep, I'm here. Let's do this. And right, right. Let's get, 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 get the job done, you know? Man, showing up in your pajamas and making funny voices, you just described uh, my world, so. Yeah, right. Hey, it's its a dream gig, but <laughs> It is. I, I've got, so dumb, but I've got a shirt that says, Mike on pants off. Yep. Uh, because, yeah, man, all you can see is from here up. So, like, I'm wearing shorts, man. Yeah. It's a classic, uh, you know, news anchor or talk show host. Yes. Like, <laughs> Absolutely. Can't get up. I'm not wearing pants. That's right. <laughs> Uh, what do you th- what's one of your biggest uh, challenges when it comes to this again this world of recording and storytelling and working in in what you do anime Hollywood whatever you want to call it um, what's one of your biggest challenges Rand? Um, well one that immediately comes to mind is especially in the world of you know anime dubbing uh, this is kind of a more specific issue with that is is that some some series that we do are almost operating concurrently with their, you know, Japanese or whatever country of origin, basically operating with their counterpart. And a lot of times, a lot of shows are very secretive about, you know, what's happening in a given season or where a storyline is going. And so often I'm, I'm left to direct and sculpt an episode of a series where I might not necessarily know where this is going in the end. Mm. And, and so it, it requires a lot of, you know, digging where you can to, to get as much information out of the original production as possible if they're willing to give it. And then outside of that, just, you know, make sure you're, you're well-versed in, in what's happening from scene to scene and, and just making sure that whatever the case may be, you're serving that particular plot line in that moment. And then outside of that, uh, like I mentioned before, a lot of the challenges working with, with actors, especially in the dubbing world that haven't read a script ahead of time. Like you might have movies or on camera TV shows or, or even animation, you know, that's originating here in, in the States where the actor gets a script ahead of time, they get to sit with it and, and absorb it and sort of, you know, put their own spin on it. And, and like I mentioned, a lot of these actors that come in for dubbing have literally never looked at the script. They're coming in completely cold, reading it. Sometimes what makes it into the show is the first time they've read that line out loud. So a lot of the challenge becomes, you know, sort of helping them make this foreign, you know, 
feeling or emotion just become innately their natural experience in that moment and you know keep it as true to to that character's you know present reality as possible and that sounds like a whole different kind of actor uh you know like i i kind of picture it like like in the music world you've got studio musicians who they just go in and they record and then somebody else tours or whatever, right? And so it yeah. almost, I mean, totally different, but kind of similar in my pea brain mind. Like these are actors that come in and do this and they're very good at what they do, but they're maybe not the ones who do original animation or even on-screen acting. Are they, mm-hmm. is, is it completely different career fields? I think there's a lot of overlap, but I don't think that you're too far off base at all. And in fact, the, the comparison you just brought up, uh, you know, studio session musicians, I often think of that as like a parallel profession to voice acting, uh, where a session guitarist or drummer might come in having never heard a song before, but they're going to, you know, sit down and listen to it, give it, a, give it a once over and sit down and perform it and maybe take a couple notes and maybe do it a couple more times and then walk out of the room, and never play that song again. But now it's, that's what it is. I think that's not far off at all from what the gig of, of dubbing and voiceover at large is. Uh, now, yeah, you're not wrong. There are people that pretty much their bread and butter is anime dubbing. Uh, however, a lot of the, the people that do original animation, they came from that world. And some of them even still do it every now and then. Mm. And so, so there is certainly an overlap there. But but that being said, within the the world of voiceover, there is a little bit of uh, a distinction, I suppose. You know, it is, it's a different skill set, for sure. Mm. And in fact, I was just I was working with an actor earlier today, and we were talking about how uh, there's a very well known working voice actor who's great and he comes in the studio a lot. He did come from a dubbing world, doesn't really do it much anymore, just because he's sort of worked beyond that at this point and but he still comes back and does it every now and then because while it maybe isn't as prestigious per se it's what set him up for his career that he has now it's it's where he came from so he still likes to do it whenever an opportunity comes his way uh but because it is a different skill set now he's sitting in the booth looking at animation having to match that lip flap again and immediately it's like oh that's right this is a muscle i haven't haven't exercised in a little while and uh so yeah i mean the skill set is totally different uh whereas you know the original animation actors they can sort of have the freedom to come in make a character their own perform it how they want to perform it and let that basically be what the animator has to work with whereas the our, our dubbing guys they are i i have i've coined the phrase slave to the flaps you know, they, <laughs> they yeah. come in and, and what's on the screen, that's what they have to work with. Those are the parameters that they have to act within. And, uh, and the good ones can still deliver amazingly moving, powerful performances within that very specific, you know, mouth movement and time constraint. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so it, two different sects of the same world, for yeah. sure. Yeah. And, man, fascinating. Very interesting. What, what would you say as a, again, in your line of work would be your ultimate project? Would it still be in recording? Would it be something to do with like true, like directing beyond that? Or is it something in music? What would be your kind of your ultimate project? Do you think? Yeah. You know, something I've, I've kind of been thinking about a lot lately as well. I mean, truthfully, when I landed this job years and years ago, I was thinking 
my, my God, I've, I've got my dream job. Like I didn't realize it was my dream job, but once I got in, I'm like, I, I don't know how it gets better than this. And while honestly, I, I don't feel too differently than that at this point, I think there is a part of me that would like to at some point venture beyond the recording and directing and just maybe move into just a director sort of role. Because, I mean, while I, I, I love doing the audio portion, and obviously that's what led me into this world and I'm passionate about it and I still enjoy it very, very much. On the rare occasion, and it ha- has, has happened uh, here and there, where I get to step away from the board, let somebody else run the faders, and just purely put my energy into the words on the page uh, and the plot in front of me and the performance the actor is giving. Sometimes that freeing up that extra real estate in my brain really just allows me to run a little bit further with, uh, with, you know, what the actor's doing and, and the story that they're telling. And I would love to be able to do that at some point with, uh, with non-dubbing with the, the original stuff. And, and mostly because it's like, as I mentioned, it's just sort of, there's an innate freedom in that to not have to, you know, be beholden to a previously existing piece of animation or, or film and just sort of uh, given the space to craft a story there on the spot and, and let that sort of grow organically where it needs to, and then let the animators bring it to life from there. Uh, so th- I, th- I think that would be, you know, something that I would love to do at some point. And then, you know, the, the music stuff has never gone away too. I would, I would love mm-hmm. to, you know, some point at some point find myself producing a, next uh, platinum selling record but you know we can all dream <laughs> absolutely it's funny because that's that's i thought of myself as wanting to be a music producer someday when i went way back after high school and i went to um, a school that was ended up being for radio and television broadcasting okay and that's where i got into tv news and a little bit of radio and then now you know 20 years later i'm doing this sure. and uh and it's just kind of funny like i always thought i want to be that producer that goes well, what if you added this to it uh-huh. Oh, there's the platinum selling record, right? Like, yep. <laughs> but you know, it's all right. Um, yeah. You never know where your path is going to take you. That's for sure. Right. And, and I love what I do. And I mean, this, the storytellers network is not a job for me. It's, it's my hobby, but it will sure. lead to something someday, but it's, mm-hmm. this is the kind of stuff that I love doing. So yeah, it's cool. I get it. Um, so Ryan, I'm going to ask you my last question in just a minute, but I want to make sure, uh, where's the best place to find information. I'm going to put a couple of links, uh, in the show notes. I got like your IMDB page, that kind of thing. Sure. But what's Which the best place? needs to be updated badly, I should add. But. <laughs> now, so let me ask you that. Do you do that? Or is that something that, that they do from the internet? Or how does that it, work? It's, it's a bit of a mixed bag. Uh, mm-hmm. I have done it myself. I've fallen very behind, which is why probably the majority of my credits are not on there. That being said, uh, a lot of the production crews from various things that I work on, they'll find me and add me to, to okay. their projects. So it's a, it's a bit of both. I think if you want it to be comprehensive and, and totally up to date, you kind of have to you know, take the initiative to do it yourself. Okay. Uh, at this point, I, I, to be perfectly honest, I'm a little overwhelmed by it, but, <laughs> but uh, in the meantime, you know, I'll, I'll let them update as it, as it goes. Sure. Yeah. It's almost like the LinkedIn for the, the storytelling business. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so where, where can people connect with you? Uh, well, I, I'm, I am on Twitter. I am not super active lately. I'm trying to be better about that, but you can find me on Twitter at Ryan of Johnston uh, I'm on Instagram, Exodus509. Uh, that's probably the best place to fo- follow any projects that, I, that I'm that i working on. Um, mm-hmm. There's always 
yeah, as you mentioned, yeah. my IMDb. And uh, yeah, if you want, I'll give you some some link to some music that I've been working on. Yeah, absolutely, man. Email me that over. Email that over to me. Words are hard tonight. Um, yeah, I get it. I get it. <laughs> yeah, email me, email me those links. I'd love to share those too. Sure. Excellent, Ryan. So, all right. So, here you go. Here's my last question. Here's the big moment. Um, yeah, shoot. I don't want to oversell this, but I think this is pretty fun. Uh, <laughs> if someone were to tell you tomorrow, now that I've convinced you that you're a storyteller, now that you've kind of thought about that the last couple of years, okay. if somebody were to say to, to you tomorrow, you can't do that anymore, you can't be a storyteller, what would be your last story you'd want to go out on? Oh, that's a, that's a good question. You know, again, something I've sort of been thinking about a lot, I think, especially within this uh, sort of world of podcasting and, and you know, doc, true documentaries and all that. I find a lot of people that I talk to, myself included, and even people I hear on podcasts, come from a background of family and an extended family that they find that they don't really know a ton about. Hmm. And I'm no different. And And I know that as immediate as my my grandparents and I guess even my parents, their stories of you know their upbringing and their parents' upbringing that I am you know vaguely aware, but by and large kind of clueless about. And so I would love to sort of delve into to my family's history and sort of ex- explore the the web going back as as far as I can and. <laughs> you know, kind of see exactly, I mean, I know how I got here as far as I'm concerned, but really what were all the things that I had no control over that, Mm -hmm. you know, brought me to the place that I am now. So I guess it comes back to my, my family's story, I guess is probably the simplest way to put that. Yeah. I like that. That's cool. And of course, as a, as a sound guy, you're going to record all that. Naturally. It would be, it would be the the next big podcast, you know? Absolutely. That's That's cool, man. Well, Ryan, I appreciate you taking time tonight to explore this with me, man. This was a lot of fun. Uh, yeah, of course. Flew by. I, <laughs> I say tonight because that's when we're recording, but whenever you're listening, I hope you enjoyed it. Um, sure. Yeah, man. Again, I, I appreciate the time, my friend. Well, of course. Hey, hey thanks for, uh, for hanging in there and, uh, and helping me make this work. Absolutely. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Ryan Johnston, sound engineer, voiceover director, uh, anime extraordinaire when it comes to the recording of voices. So much fun. Thank you, Ryan, once again. Be sure to connect with him at the links in the show notes. Uh, Listen to some of his music. Share it as well. So there you go. And if you enjoyed this episode, please consider sharing it with someone. And also, maybe even leaving one of those written reviews, either in Apple Podcasts or wherever you are listening to the show. So thank you for that. And if you want to share your story with me, go to thestorytellersnetwork.com, hit Contact Dan on the contact page, and send me an email. Let's have us a chat. Until next time, here's to telling our stories and having those stories to tell. Cheers.